Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, and this is a live call-in show. Let's have a, a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we praise your name. We're grateful for this airtime. We pray that we'll be able to have a meaningful discussion and that the hearts of the viewers, whether they're watching now or they tune in later, will be touched and we'll be able to touch, talk about the things that are so important to us here on this earth. Lord, we love you. Let me step aside. Let me be nice and calm and, and uh, collected and let's just have a good exchange. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. We have a number of people who write or call and ask, how do you know if you've been born again? And in past shows, the first few, two or three shows, I talked about some things that you will, will happen in your life that will evidence spiritual rebirth. One of them is you're going to um, worship and praise the Lord automatically. It's going to flow from your lips. And I gave you an example, a horrible example of a praise song that I sang. And... Um, Praising God and being grateful to Jesus for what he's done to you is a natural thing that happens when you're spiritually reborn. Another thing is prayer constantly on your lips and heart to the Lord to help you through your daily life, consecrating your day at the, be at the beginning of the day in prayer and worship. This is all part of it. Reading the word, wanting to get into the word is part and parcel of the spiritual rebirth process. Tonight I'd like to share another attitude that accompanies spiritual rebirth that can't be forced it can't be faked, and it happens naturally. And that is how you will view the cross, the symbol of the cross of Christ. Uh, interestingly enough, when most Latter-day Saints um, are asked if they're a Christian, they continue to ardently claim, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I remind our listening audience tonight, our viewing audience, that I, when I talk about Mormonism, I address certain things, and when I talk about Mormons, I address it in a different way. And I hope you're learning as you've watched the show to differentiate between when I'm speaking of Mormonism and Mormons themselves. Every Mormon is different, and everybody has a different view, and I don't know where you are with your walk with the Lord. But when I'm speaking about certain issues that are kind of corporate, that's Mormonism, and I'm often a little harsher on those topics. Still, even though Latter-day Saints claim to be Christian, a number of crucial differences exist between what Mormonism proposes and what biblical Christianity teaches. Perhaps one of the most obvious and seemingly unimportant differences, the absence or presence of the cross, may turn out to be one of the most telling differences after all. We live in a world of symbols. Some of them are internationally recognized. Some of them are locally significant. Institutionally generated symbols remind people of their allegiance to a group or to a cause and are typically pregnant with meaning when we look at them and think about things. Consider these symbols, the American flag, the Star of David, the Golden Arches, a peace sign, and what they mean to a specific group, their agenda, their philosophy, or their business. Symbols speak greatly of what's in the heart of the people who have allegiance to it. To Christians, the cross is symbolically central to the most important thing in their spiritual lives. To some it says suffering, but it also shouts freedom from sin. It shouts liberty from death. It shouts wonderment for what Jesus did. It, it shouts awe. 
It represents the cross, represents the gospel. It represents the Lord Jesus Christ. It represents God's love. The cross invokes gratitude and homage and assurance and peace in the hearts of truly convicted Christians. To Latter-day Saints, typically, the cross is recognized as the place where Jesus died physically. That's about it. It's not seen in their buildings, except in a picture or two. It's not posted on the outside above the steeple. It's not put on their temples. Other symbols are on those edifices that mean and evoke a much different thing than what Christians think and feel when they see or, or examine the cross. When I was on my full-time mission in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, people would ask my companion and I, why don't you have crosses on your church? And I was taught in the MTC to say, well, suppose you had somebody that you loved very much who was murdered brutally by an ax. And suppose people really like that person, and so they begin to put that bloody ax up on the walls of their homes and in their churches to reverence and remember that person by. That wouldn't make sense to you, would it? You wouldn't want an, a bloody ax up there. How would you want to remember that person you love by? You'd want to remember them in more positive terms. And as an unregenerated believer, and therefore not capable of completely understanding the biblical message of the cross, I thought this was such a wise response. I thought, wow, that really makes great sense. That is so good. And it made sense to me logically because I had an intellectual understanding of Jesus' death and sacrifice, but no personal biblical understanding of what the cross really meant. When I was born again, I almost immediately resonated to the symbol of the cross. I was not taught by anybody. I didn't go to a church with crosses. I didn't go to a church. But when I saw one, something in my spirit said, that is so vitally important to who I am in the Lord. That symbolizes something that I am. And I wasn't taught that. And I didn't teach myself that. It came naturally with a regenerated spirit. Why? What changed for me? What was it that, how could I go from viewing an object that was logically repulsive under the religious auspices of normal reverence and respect to viewing this object with love and adoration and appreciation that causes me to ponder and praise Jesus' name every time I see one now. Maybe, like I was, you are unable to understand the biblical significance of the cross. Maybe you were unaware of its significance and meaning. The cross of Christ is taken three different ways in Scripture. It's taken materially, it's taken metaphorically, and it's taken metonymically. That's a big word, metonymically. In fact, I know what the word is, but I had to make sure and I just looked it up, even though I'm using it here. And what metonymically means is like when someone says, the, swor the sword of the nation. The sword is a metonymical use to represent the, the nation, the sword of a nation. Or... Uh, Washington is representative of the United States government. In Washington, that's, a, that's a metonymical. It, it's a reference that way. And so the cross in the Bible is used three different ways. Now, the physical cross, the material cross, is 
very important to some religions. The, the Roman Catholic Church is very big on the material cross. And historically, most scholars believe that that was a tau. It's called a tau, and it's St. Anthony's cross. And it's a cross that is a capital T. And most scholars believe that Jesus was crucified on a cross with a capital T. That they didn't have that little top, okay? The Latin cross, the lowercase capital T, has that cross, and they don't believe that he was crucified on something like that. So it's not necessarily the shape or symbol. It's the significance of what the cross means. The physical cross really is important because of what it symbolizes and means, but it doesn't have that much import to our spiritual selves. It's what it represents. Um, the, the Catholic Church, uh, they put the Corpus Christi, or the body of Christ, often on their cross, and that makes it a crucifix. And they, they, there's people who will kind of critically say, well, the Catholics keep Jesus on the cross. Versus Protestant crosses typically are void of the Corpus Christi, and the, and the Protestant crosses are more symbolic of his death and resurrection, and it has a little bit more significant spiritual meaning to them than just the suffering servant on that, that emblem. Um, the metaphorical use of the word cross in the Bible, let's look at the, the Bible itself. Take up your cross and follow him. That's a metaphorical use of the cross. And what it means, it alludes to suffering. It alludes to affliction that Christians will face. We pick up our cross, we take up our cross, and we walk with it. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should serve not sin. Our old man is crucified with him. So when you become spiritually reborn, we too are put on that cross. We're not put in a garden. We're put on that cross with him, and our old man dies. It is crucified with Christ. And that's a metaphorical use of the word cross in the scriptures. But the cross of Christ is metonymically stands for the gospel, the doctrine of the gospel or of Jesus that died upon that cross. In my opinion, all the references to the cross are important, but this association really touches on its present-day significance. Listen very carefully, please. Write these down if you want, but listen very carefully to these verses. 1 Corinthians 1, 17-18 For Christ sent not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, this is Paul speaking, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross, Latter-day Saints, what does it mean when you read in the Bible the preaching of the cross? Does it mean anything to you? In Galatians 5.11, Paul refers to the cross being an offense. How can the cross be an offense? Ask yourself that question. Is it an offense to you? It's not an offense to me. It's a symbol of joy and love and peace. And it became that. Is it a symbol of offense to you? If it is, you should ask yourself why. In Galatians 4, 6, 12 through 14, I read, Paul writes, Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. But God forbid that I glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God forbid I glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Do you see how he's using that, that symbol of, of, the import, of the import of the cross? Paul states here that he has nothing to glory in than the cross of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say he glories in the garden. He doesn't say he glories in ordinances. He says he glories only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.16. Listen, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. He reconciles all peoples by the cross. Do you understand that? Having slain the enmity thereby. By the cross, by his bloody death on the cross, as an expiation for sin. But he slayed the enmity, the hatred between the peoples on that cross. Just let me give you a couple more. Philippians 2.8 And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Unto death, in, in the Greek, mekri uh, thanatau, until death. Yes, the death of the cross, thanatau de staro. The bottom rung of the ladder of the throne of God, Jesus came all the way down to the most despised death of all, a condemned criminal on an accursed cross. This is very important stuff, my LDS friends, because Jesus didn't suffer for the sicknesses and the sins of the world in a private place. This is very important to your doctrine about Jesus suffering for atoning for sin in the garden. God did not have him suffer in a private place. He had him endure the shame of the cross in public, which is why public confession of him to us now is so important. When you confess Jesus as your Savior publicly, that's why it's so important. Because Jesus publicly, he, he atoned for your sins under the shame of the cross. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set down before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was shamed. He was brought to the lowest of low, hung on a tree with criminals. The Old Testament says this is a shame. Spit on, mistreated, ridiculed publicly. For what? For you and I. This is why God, and this is where God focused his wrath was on this focal point and nowhere else. What greater ploy, what greater ploy to get people, well-meaning people, to take their eyes off the very place where they were reconciled to God, to say it wasn't on the cross, it didn't happen on the cross, it happened in a different place, and to take your focus contrary to what the scripture says and to focus it on a different place, to make it different, that, that, that is this abhorrent to me. Those of you who aren't aware of this in the listening audience, Latter-day Saints believe that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world in the Garden of Gethsemane. All biblical passes, passages point to the cross and only the cross. Nowhere does anything say he atoned or suffered or is it metonymically used as a garden. It's always the cross. Once again, LDS doctrine, not LDS people, but LDS doctrine subtly tosses in a tiny twist 
a little variance, a slight alteration, which, which amounts to nothing more than taking our eyes off Jesus. That is a crime. Listen, two more scriptures. Listen to these. These are the, are the greatest ones. Colossians 1.20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. The blood of his cross. It doesn't say through the blood of the garden. It's through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things into himself. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, he made peace through the cross. He endured the shame of the cross. He reconciled us by the cross. He fulfilled the law on the cross. He killed the hatred on the cross. We are one with God by the cross. Now listen to this. Listen, my final scripture. Colossians 2.14. Write this one down, Latter-day Saints. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. When Christ was nailed to the cross, our obligation to fulfill ordinances was done away. Are you getting the picture here? What happened on that cross altered, fulfilled, completed, atoned, connected, made all of us one with God as he intended it from the beginning. May the Latter-day Saints add a crossbar, a horizontal bar to every one of the steeples that rest in their churches and stake, stake, uh, stake centers all over the world. Out of respect and adoration and worship for, the, uh, for Jesus Christ and worship for what he did. May they remove Moroni, another symbol that's over every temple. Not Jesus, not a cross, Moroni, an angel resurrected from the Book of Mormon and rent every temple veil in the name of him who already did the job for them. Jesus rent the temple veil when he died. It was ripped in two by God himself. Ripped the veil in two again and let his life come through. We're going to open up the phone lines. Um, if you want to have a question or comment on our topic tonight or any other topic, please call. Uh, I want to address a few uh, comments here. Uh, first, Matt in Syracuse regarding polygamy of last week. That polygamy is all sociological. Polygamy is uh, uh, just a sociological response. He believes that if polygamy becomes in vogue again or lawful, that uh, polygamy will be practiced again by the church. That's why they retain it in the Doctrine and Covenants 132. I agree with him. Armando and Ogden, keep reading John. Uh, Mr. Holman told me to lose 100 pounds. Well, no. Uh, Lance at West Valley City is a good Christian. He has a son who has spina bifida. He's struggling. Lance, keep on going. Had a good conversation with him. Ryan accepted the Lord here at our studios today with our station, uh, one of our station managers, Mary. God bless you, Ryan. Read the word, find a good Bible-believing church, and keep walking forward. Ryan was LDS. Ray McCraney in Florida called, and he says that he uh, likes my last name and, uh, and the show. And Ray, I give you a shout-out to you. Mark Kennedy and the nursing staff at IHC, I think it's in Happy Valley, God bless you all. Some of you are LDS. Keep searching. Think about our talk about the cross and uh, talk to a good Christian if you have a question on that. Um, Jess Best wrote, Sean, do you think people can get misled 
or saved by music? Um, if so, why? I think people can be greatly misled by music. Uh, Jess Bess, I don't think anyone can be saved by music. Jesus is the only thing that will save you, dear. And, uh, but music can definitely lead you astray. And music can definitely lift your heart up and help you worship Jesus. But uh, as far as saving you or not, I don't think so. Brittany Crandall, uh, Brittany called from Idaho. And the Lord loves you, Brittany. You must be born again. And we're going to send you our book. But I want to tell you, you have to be born again to truly understand him and understand what he's saying. Uh, Jeff, who has a Christian band, I'm going to be calling you. Dennis from Bluffdale, all the way from Bluffdale, says he comes from a polygamous family. He doesn't know how I can ask the LDS Church to renounce Article Doctrine and Covenants 132. Uh, Dennis, I suggest you read Doctrine and Covenants 132 uh, closely in connection with the Bible. And, uh, and I absolutely believe that we have nothing to do with Section 132. Um, Samara at West Valley City wishes that I would not bash other people's faith, especially the LDS. You know, the word bashing is a thought-killing cliche that is used by Latter-day Saints and other people when they don't want to hear their views exposed. It's a thought-killing cliche, meaning if I'm doing this and you call and you say, stop bashing, if I'm afraid of your opinion, I'm going to say, okay, and I won't, I won't, I'll stop thinking about it and I'll just go on my own way. And, and groups use those thought-killing cliches to control people, to control people so they don't think outside the box, and, and I'm not going to do that. This is not bashing. I'm giving you straightforward truth. I'm giving you facts. And when I give those facts, if it's, if it's painful to you, I'm sorry. And I gave you an, a, a story last week as to why I do that. But um, I, I don't believe in, uh, in uh, the bashing, railing, attacking words. I'm just discussing it as it is. Um, we have other calls saying that I have no idea what I'm talking about, man, because God loves everybody, Mormons, everybody no matter what and i have to agree completely that god loves everybody completely no matter what but it doesn't mean that you will live with him again if universalism was true jesus didn't need to come my friends so um he came for a very specific reason and i'm here to promote him and him alone garrett reynolds wants a bumper sticker come to the uh heart in the park in sugar house on june 28th and you will get one um, Gail Crawford, Gail in, uh, doesn't say the city asked to look up the following passages on marriage and marriage in heaven that Jesus gives. It's a good recommendation. I suggest you do it. And, uh, I'm going to stop these for a second. I got a lot of them and go to Paul and West Jordan on line two. Paul, you're on heart of the matter. Hi, Sean. I just want to tell you great job. You're doing a great job. And, um, I know the LDS people are getting mad of, you know, what you're teaching, but all you're doing is teaching the truth. Thanks, man. The truth is hard to hear sometimes. Yeah, even I, I hate to hear it sometimes too, but I really appreciate your comment. I know you're doing everything the right way. You're doing it in love, and that's the way it's got to be done. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. Keep watching, brother. Thanks. Okay. Uh, if the phone lines are busy, and they are, please call back. If you get a phone recording, that's just what happens. Just keep trying, keep trying, and you'll finally get through. Um, we have a comment from... Uh, let's see, Busy B, who asks, why is the mother of Jesus who was born without sin not loved by you? Um, I love the mother of Jesus uh, as best as I can love her. Um, I don't have any kind of spiritual connection 
as far as my heart and how I resonate to her spiritually, I resonate to God, only one God, and God alone. Um, I don't in any way disparage her name, and if in the shows I've ever led you to believe that, I apologize, because I would never, ever, ever do that. Uh, are you kidding? But um, if, I don't, if I don't praise her or pray to her or believe she has something to do with my salvation, that's another subject. But uh, as far as reverence her and honor her for what she did, uh, absolutely at the top of the heap in my game. Uh, we're going to Christopher and Draper on line three. Christopher, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good, man. Nice shirt. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's kind of interesting. I, I just kind of turned on the TV and saw you. And I've never uh, seen your show before, but I've always uh, considered myself kind of a born-again Mormon myself, huh? so it was funny to see bornagainmormon.com. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, um, tell me about that. I don't that. know much about what you believe or anything, but I was just, uh, I, I'm still Mormon and still proud to be Mormon and everything, but I, I do understand um, kind of the need to, to be a little more understanding and, and uh, you know, just more aware <clears throat> of everything around us and, and what's really important instead of all the technicalities and all the scripture and everything. I, I, uh, I kind of took a break myself from from uh, scriptural references to anything, yeah. and I just concentrated on my relationship with Jesus and with with God. And uh, you know, that's that's kind of where I've really found my testimony, and my uh, and and what it was all what what it really is about. And um, you know, I, I I hear the polygamy stuff. I, I just think it's all irrelevant. I really do. Uh -huh. I think it's I don't think it's really that important to even um, to even concentrate or use our efforts and energy in in that direction i think we're here to learn and to love unconditionally and accept everybody it sounds it sounds like you have a great uh christian attitude man hey when did that happen when did you kind of turn and just just uh focus on jesus um i went through a divorce about just over a year and a half ago uh -huh. i've got three children and uh-huh and uh i just i kind of found myself you know at a level beneath my own feet uh -huh. and um it was just humbling and i was you know i I felt like I was just, you know, I, I was at the end of my rope, and I, um, you know, I just, I just found myself sincerely trying to find help from from deity, whatever awesome. that was, because I was just, I was Mormon. Really, I went on a mission. I did all my everything that I was supposed to, and right. And uh, but I've never felt anything like I felt when I just when I actually went to, you know, to Christ Himself. Fantastic. That's spiritual rebirth uh, uh, is the way I understand it and the way I experienced it, too. Can I send you a book? Yeah, go ahead. Just give me your uh, uh, address and I'll send you a book. Yeah, no problem. Have you, have you ever seen that show, What the Bleep Do We Know? Uh, no, I haven't. Watch it. Really? Amazing. It's, it's an amazing thing. I'll check it out, man. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Take care. Cindy in Grantsville. Cindy, you're in Heart of the Matter. Hello. How Hello. are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. In the book History of Joseph Smith by his mother, Lucy Mack Smith, yeah. it has to do with the Book of Mormon. It says on page 83 uh -huh. um, that during our, uh, and I'm quoting from the book, during our evening conversations, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of this continent their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings with every particular, their mode of warfa warfare, 
and also their religious worship. Yeah. As he would do with as much ease, seemingly, as if he would have spent his whole life among them. Yeah. This is before he translated the Book of Mormon, and I'm wondering where he got all the information for the Book of Mormon. Um, some people have said, told me, oh, he must have had a vision. But it doesn't say that. It just says that he... he gave us the most amusing recitals that what? could be imagined. Do you want me to tell you? Yes, I do. And, Wh and what I'll do is go ahead and hang up. Okay. And um, because that's what I'm wondering about, where the Book of Mormon really came from. Okay. Okay. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. God bless you. Um, what happened was uh, the history shows that Joseph did go and he would tell his uh, family and tell them stories about the, the characters as if he had lived with them. Um, but the, the doctrine, uh, the history also shows that um, Joseph was visited by the angel Moroni and other angels who taught him all about these things and not just taking it from the plates that he says that he found. So he was tutored, uh, according to him, by these angels along the way of what the civilizations were like. And he would, he would pass the things that they taught him onto his family sometimes as they would gather about at night. And he would entertain them with the stories about what the civilization was like. This is what the history says. Uh, I don't, of course, I'm, I don't necessarily think that's true. But um, if it is true, then um, I don't know where, what provided him with the visions or what kind of angels those were. All I can say is this, the history is he was visited and he was tutored too, in addition to actually supposedly receiving the plates and um, translating them. I hope that answers your question. Chuck and Layton. Chuck, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Well, thank you, and uh, that's an excellent, excellent teaching you had there on the cross. Thank you. And the verse you read about the foolishness of the cross yeah. uh, to those who are perishing, I would emphasize that even more strongly because before people are born again, you know that uh, they'll nitpick about the cross, they'll nitpick about the Bible. There's always some rational explanation for everything. Yeah. But when God changes you from the inside out, you become truly born again, all of a sudden the Bible becomes preeminent and yeah. the cross becomes preeminent. And you're looking at yourself and you're saying, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. Oh, Chuck, I can't. You know what? I'm really glad you, you said that that way because that's exactly what happened to me. As a Mormon, I pulled to the side of the road and I had this experience. And that, what you're saying is exactly what happened. What was foolishness to me before with the cross and the Bible opened up to me in a completely different way. I had the same thing with abortion, with a girlfriend. Huh. She used to say to me in my pre-born-again days, what if I get pregnant? And I said, you're not going to get pregnant. And she'd say, what if? And I'd say, well, I'll get you an abortion. No problem. I thought, well, if you catch it early enough, when it's microscopic, no problem. What's the problem? Right. But after I got born again, all of a sudden, it was wrong. Yeah. And nobody preached to me. No right to lifers berated me. Yeah. All of a sudden, I thought, whoa, where did that come from? Amen, Joseph. That's this what is a, it is. That's what being born again is. What a great testimony. Chuck, thank you so much. One other thing. Yeah. I'd like to know, don't Mormons... Uh, believe that born again is a progressive thing rather than instantaneous regeneration. Can you explain that? Yeah, they believe that it occurs over a, a period of time and that uh, when you end your life, when you've endured to the end, that's the ultimate uh, conclusion of your spiritual rebirth. Um, they don't 
necessarily like the idea of having the Jesus experience where you're given a new birth, a new life, and then you go on to learn to be sanctified by the Spirit over time. They, they think that you are born innocent and uh, clean and that in time you, you will sin and you've got to repent for that, but that the whole life process is spiritual regeneration. The problem with that, and we talked about this on show two, is birth is not a process. Birth is, is not a, a stretched out over a week or month or year or lifetime. It happens. You're born. And then you progress in your life by walking with the Lord. That's why the Lord used spiritual, you must be born again to Nicodemus and not you must progress over the course of your lifetime to Nicodemus. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. All right, Chuck. Thank you. All right. Bye now. All right. God bless. You know, I, I, I want to tell you that the whole purpose of this show really is about being born again. We talk about all the other things, but Chuck really brought it back. The purpose is, have you been born again? If you can't say that you have, legitimately, not just because of argument, but if you can't say you have, you have a problem because it was an imperative that the Lord gave, you must be born again. Every Latter-day Saint must be born again. Again, and when you have that new life, brothers and sisters, you are going to see things in ways you've never seen before. And you know, when I, when I became born again and I sat in a church and I sang praises for the first time, my heart was just exploding for the Latter-day Saints to be there with me, that they should experience Jesus in this way and everything else will dissipate in significance. We're going to David on line two from Salt Lake City. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, I have a, a kind of a personal question, I guess. Yeah. What is your profession? Are you a full-time preacher or are you? No, I'm a security guard. <laughs> okay, so you just do this part-time or what? Uh, uh, yeah, I, what happens is I work at nights. I uh, work 40 hours a week. And uh, I also go to school at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, and I'm in my last year of that. And then I fly up here uh, once a week and I do the show. So is this, is this a, a show that you make money at, or is it something that you just get donations? How is it funded? This is a show that uh, everybody involved in it seems to go into debt. <laughs> we, have no, we have no source of income. Uh, I, the only thing I get remunerated on is, uh, no, remunerated, remunerated on is uh, that my flight here and back is picked up. My hotel is picked up by me. My food is picked up by me. The station donates the time. The camera people right now, they volunteer their time. The operators answering the phone volunteer their time. There is no money making here. None. So were you, have you always been a security guard or did you? No. I was a stockbroker for 15 years. Okay, so there's just a kind of a transition. To yeah, it keeps benefits and keeps some cash coming in. Or is your goal to become a preacher and have your own church? Or I don't know. I have to see where the Lord's going to lead me. My goal is to bring spiritual rebirth to the Latter-day Saints. That's what the Lord put on my heart. That's why I wrote the book, and that's why I do what I do. And uh, I had, it's funny. I had another call about what I do for a living and how much I'm making from this today. And I want you to know um, we're in the hole. So there's no there's no money making the scheme here. I give. I'm three, not trying to criticize. Oh, I know. I'm just explaining to the audience. I'm not just talking to you. To the audience, there's there's no money making there. Right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. Okay, Mike and Orem. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Mike. Hello. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? Good. Hello. Mike, you got to turn your TV off. 
Yeah, there must be a little delay here. Yeah, there's a delay. You got to turn that thing off. Okay, got her off. Okay. Fire away. Okay. Um, Jude, verse 3, applies to you, brother. Jude, verse 3. Yes. Well, let's read it. I'll be quick. Loved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Yeah. Which was once delivered unto the saints. Yes. Yeah. Refreshing to see you doing this, brother. Hey, thanks. I appreciate the scriptural support. Yes, and one other thing. I had a, that comment and a question. Yes. Uh, the comment was the verse. The question is, being a born-again Mormon, Yes. can you testify to your audience tonight that Joseph Smith is not a prophet of God, but a false prophet? Oh, yeah. Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Absolutely. The Book of Mormon, yeah. There's no question on, on where I stand. You can look at my site and read everything I believe. Joseph Smith, where's the camera? Joseph Smith, false prophet, Book of Mormon, work of fiction, Doctrine and Covenants, work of uh, inspiration from some source, but I don't believe of God, uh, Pearl of Great Price, a fraud. I mean, how long do you want me to go? I can go on and on. The only problem is, is all this does is engender strife in the hearts of the people who are Latter-day Saints. I need to preach Jesus and Jesus only because that is what's going to soften their hearts and change their lives. Not the fact, not that I have opinions about what all they're doing in their church. And that's why I don't hard sell it. If I did, I could be like every countercult ministry in this world saying, you know, they're a cult, they, they follow a, a fallen man and all these things. I stick with present day stuff and just try to address it as to why it's not biblically sound. And that's why I go the direction I go. Well, the reason why I do that, I've lived in Utah for 20 years and I've been witnessing the Mormons for all these years. And one of the worst things that they could do is to testify that Joseph Smith is a false prophet of God. That's one of the worst things. They, they won't even allow that to come out of their lips. Yeah. What a, what a shame. I wanted to see you as a born-again Mormon testify. You got it, brother. Thank you, brother. All hey, right. Earnestly contend for the faith. Yes, and we're trying to do that. You are doing it. Hey, tell people about the show and come to the park. Okay. All right, see you later. All right, thank you. Okay, bye. We got Merrill and Holiday. Merrill on line two. Yeah, hi, Sean. want to just read something briefly from Mormon Doctrine of Bruce R. McConkie, where he certainly agrees with you. Mm. Uh, because of its association with our Lord, the cross has come to have symbolic meanings for those who profess belief uh -huh. in his atoning blood. Uh -huh. Paul properly used the cross of Christ to identify to the mind the whole doctrine of the atonement, reconciliation, and redemption. Uh -huh. So he supports uh, your feeling there. That's good. He does talk about later how uh, churches use um, the sign of the cross and also the crucifix. His comment is... Well, that's Catholic now, but go ahead. Uh, no, uh, the crucifix and, and then also just the, the plain cross. Oh, okay. Uh, all this is, his comment, all this is inharmonious with the quiet spirit of worship and reverence Merrill, wait one second. When you said the sign of the cross, you sure you don't mean the Catholic when they make the sign of the cross? No, I'm talking about the actual physical structure of oh, okay. the cross. Okay. Um, so uh, talking about crucifixes and also, uh, jewelry and then also um, just the, um, the cross on uh, edifices or buildings. 
Yeah, you think that's you think that's. Um... I'm just com- I'm just quoting him here, oh. and, I, and I agree with him. All this is inharmonious with the quiet spirit of worship and reverence that should attend a true Christian's remembrance of our Lord's suffering and death. In fact, the revealed symbolism to bring these things to the attention of true worshipers is found in the ordinances of the sacrament. Yeah. Now, I have always been taught as a member of the LDS Church. Uh-huh. Uh, during the week, and especially during the sacrament, to reflect upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to. Uh, his uh, pre-mortal sure. existence mm-hmm. as the, um, the firstborn of the Father right. and the Spirit, yeah. uh, the, the creator of the world. Yeah. Uh, um, God himself? The, uh, uh, no. Oh, okay. The, uh, the God of the Old Testament. Right. Um, created, his, created being? Pardon me? Created being? Created being... Was he a created being, this, this Jesus that you're talking about at the sacrament table? Was he created by the Father? Well, he was, he was spiritually begotten of the Father in the Spirit. So he was created. And then also begotten of the Father in the flesh. Okay. The only one like that. I just want to clarify that we're talking all about the same things. Yeah. You're giving me what your beliefs are, but I want to make sure the audience understands what they are. Okay, go ahead. His, his life. Yeah. Where, again, he was the literal son of God in oh. the flesh. Yeah. The only one. Sure. In the flesh. Right. Uh, his atonement, uh, the cross, the resurrection, mm-hmm. all of this I've been taught to reflect upon. Yeah, I've been taught to reflect on all of that too, all of it. And all of it is not correct. So because I was taught, if you, if you get 99%, it's a great counterfeit. But if you miss some of the key elements, you're missing a big part of what it means. And what key element do you think is... Well, one, I think the, when it comes to the ontology of God, I think you're talking about a completely different Savior. So we have problems right there, but I don't like to go into this because I came to know Jesus at the side of the road who changed my life, and, and, and I came to know him, and, and I became a Christian because of that. And so, Sean, Sean, I respect that. Yeah, I, respect I know you respect it, but I have, to, I have to point out the points that you're saying, Meryl, when you call, that, well, I was taught that always these things, but you're not giving the entire picture. That's why I had to say, well, do you, always believe, do you believe this about Jesus, too? And do you believe about this about Jesus, too? And this is, these things are so counter. To, to what uh, Christians typically believe. For, I mean, I could take it farther and get uglier with Brigham Young's statements about how Jesus was actually conceived. But I don't want to do that. Okay. You don't want, yeah, we don't want to go down that road too, right? So we have to be fair here. You want to paint a picture that you're a Christian, but you, when you lay out the things of Christianity at your sacrament service, you're not including all the things that you think about Jesus, Merrill. Okay, you, now let's, let's just end on a positive note. Let's do it. In relationship to uh, born again. Okay. Um, I have been taught taught that uh, being born again is an event in my church. Really? I have. How did it happen? It is a overwhelming washing of the Holy Spirit. And this is a, a, a this is a, a one-time thing. You were taught this by somebody who was. It hap- there's an initial time when it happens, and then there are subsequent times in one's life. No, what I mean is, uh, so it's not a single event. It's in a recurring event. There is. Well, there's one event where it happens uh, yeah. for the first time at okay. one point, yeah. and then it happens on succeeding um, uh, times. Okay, but that first time's not sufficient, right? The first time is, is the initial witness, and yeah. then we are to live by the Spirit every day. Okay, yeah, I understand that, but I have never heard and never heard it been taught that you're going to have this uh, Jesus experience where you're going to experience rebirth in a... In a in, in an LDS church, in a repetitive nature. I've been taught that, Sean. I'm in a repetitive nature? Yes. 
Yeah, that's funny. I've, I'm, uh, that's funny. It's just not a common thing to Mormonism as I've experienced or most of the people that I talk to have experienced. They, in fact, they, they kind of fight against that, that term. Now, I know the Book of Mormon talks about it. Certainly. Yeah, and I know that it is a doctrine in the Book of Mormon, but I, 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 that doesn't make it part of the practice. Well, I support that doctrine in the Good. Sacrament. Then you're a born-again Mormon, brother. Come to know the real Jesus when you do that sacrament thing, and you will be let out. I promise you that. Thank you, Sean. Okay, Merrill. You take care. i got to go to Steve and Bountiful. Steve, you're on line three. All right. Hey, Sean. Hey. Uh, second time that I've called. i got to turn my TV down. Uh, Merrill had some good points. I'm also LDS, mm -hmm. and to all my LDS friends out there, the pro and born-again folks. I was raised in the Baptist Church, and I know what's going on in this department in the church for 25 years. Uh, LDS for about 25 years. The yeah. point is, Sean, this cure-all. Cure-all. Don't, don't do the cure-all with me, Steve, because you're insulting me. Well, the the cure-all changed my life. Don't call what Jesus did a cure-all. That insults me greatly. Sean, Sean. Yeah. You say about the LDS church isn't true. What I say about the LDS Church is not hey, true. John, let me finish. If you want to sit there on TV, yes, I do. Talk about the LDS Church. Yes. Everything you are saying is true. Yes. And some of it is. Yeah. But for your listeners, the difference between the LDS Church and being uh, a born again Christian yeah. is that we do not believe that Christ comes into your heart and does all the hard work. We believe that... Okay, good. I'm glad you said that. We... You do the hard work, right? We believe that we have to live a Christ-like life. So does every Christian I've ever, ever met. Every Christian I've ever met believes they have to live a Christ-like life. Every single one. So I don't think there's any difference in how to live. Christians are always out there fighting against the, the evils of society. John huge problem in this department. What's the problem? reason I never went back to the, again, Baptist uh, religion is because it is not true and it is not spirit-led. Okay, you know what, Steve? This, here's the problem, okay? I step out on the live show and I have a history that you can prove that what I'm saying is, a, is not a lie. I, my, my tenure in the LDS Church, my positions, and, and what I throw out here in terms of doctrine, you can verify everything. You are a caller who says you are a Baptist and Baptists are not true. I don't know what your experience was. I can't verify that. I don't know if you're a Mormon who's been Mormon your whole life. So you got to understand the difference between you calling on this show and saying this. Don't, 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 don't uh, throw a shadow over what I say, just as I won't. You can verify what I say. I can't verify what you say. And I have a lot of people listening who want to hear truth. When you say the Baptist church isn't true, you're talking about a very subjective experience. I don't know if you left when you were 13. Maybe you had a Baptist preacher kick you in the butt and it made you mad. I don't know any of those things. No, so, don't, don't go there. Don't, don't start where am I going? ideas like that to your audience. Steve, we're going on. You're a born caller. Jesse, let's go to Ogden. Yes, hello. Hi, Jesse. Um, I just want to say that I really enjoy your show. I've been watching since you came on the air, and I thank you so much. Um, I watch your show so that I can learn how to speak to the LDS people. Good. It's difficult. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share an experience that I had on church on, at church on Sunday. Um, I, I'm glad that you brought the cross up and... Um, on, on Sunday, 
we take communion every Sunday, and for some reason this Sunday it just really hit me when the pastor um, spoke out and said, you know, that Jesus said, this is my body, take unto you, that my body that was um, broken for you um, in Luke 19. Awesome. says, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me, that I give it, that, yeah, that he gave his body and was given to us and that his blood was poured out for you. And it was just an aha moment for me. Huh. You know, that even if I was the only person on earth, that Jesus still would have gone to the cross for me. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. And those aha moments are wonderful, aren't they? Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse, thank you for calling. Can I just add one more thing? Absolutely. just want to um, let the LDS people out there know that Satan is alive in this world and what he does is he takes the word of god he twists it and then he hands it back to us as truth that's right and we're just dumb enough to believe it excellent thank you so much jessica thank you i'll talk to you later david david you are on line two david thank you sean all right how's it going good god bless you i i didn't know that you came up every week from uh, california that's uh all those flights are really enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, but I, I didn't have the exact citation I wanted to quote. Uh, uh, everything uh, really that uh, is discussed uh, is great, but it's all really immaterial if you have the wrong Christ. Right. And uh, I'd like to quote from Church News, week ending June 20th, 1998. President Kimball had been speaking in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and in the one paragraph, in bearing his testimony of Jesus Christ, President Hinckley spoke of those outside the church who say, Latter-day Saints, quote, do not believe in the traditional Christ. No, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak, for the Christ of whom I speak was revealed in this dispensation in the fullness of time, da 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 da, -da to Joseph Smith. So, uh, really, uh, the good works, uh, and it's ironic, on, uh, on the Baptist that called, I would have to ask if he was really born again as a Baptist. Right. But uh, That's what makes calls like that difficult. I, I like the comparison of the angels, too, because uh, 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 Gabriel talked to Muhammad, and Moroni talked to Joseph, and the Bible verse that says, if we or an angel preach any other gospel, let him be a curse. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, it, it's no wonder, because Satan himself. So... It's all interesting, but if you got the wrong Jesus, and thank God President Hinckley admitted it, then everything else is really immaterial, and God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Okay, we are going to go to Mitchell in Ogden. Mitchell, you've got one minute. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, this is Mitchell. I just had a comment about the cross. Um, I was raised LDS um, for 33 years, and... I used to make fun of the cross, and I used to make fun of, of Christians. You know, I just um, just really make fun of them. And then I caught myself um, getting on my knees and and believing what the Bible said to confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, ask Him to come into my heart, be my Lord and be my Savior. And instantly, I was reborn, born again. A two thousand pound weight was lifted off my shoulders, and um. I, the next time I saw the cross, I cried. Oh, yeah. Every time from then on. Praise God. Unbelievable. What a great testimony. 
Yeah, it's awesome, and all Mormons can have it. They it's can. Simple. It, it's so simple, you miss it. I did for 33 years. I did, too. Finally, I just did what the Bible said. Confess him as your Lord, as your Savior. That's it. Oh, it's awesome. A great testimony. Wow. Th I'm glad we got that on tape. Amen. Thanks so much. God bless you. All right, God bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. We're going with Bob in Sunset. Bob, you've got one minute. Yeah, Sean, love what you're doing, man. Thanks. The question, uh, a lot of times I have uh, the missionaries come over my house. And, uh, mm. they, uh, and I was involved in the LDS church. So I was baptized in it when I was a little kid and, and know quite a bit about it. But they come here, and, and I told them, look, this is the problem I have. Mm -hmm. Book of Mormon says this. The Bible says this. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no matter where the conversation goes, it always falls down to, they revert back to their uh, the testimony that they have. Yeah. And um, I'm just, I don't know why. They, and they stop there. Yeah. Go any further. They don't want to talk about the issues. Right. And, and, and these are serious things. I mean, real serious. And then <clears throat> the last thing they say before they leave it, hey, is there anything, Bob, that we can do for you? And I say, you know what? If you will do anything for me, I would just want you to come back here and talk to me hmm. some more about these issues. <clears throat> they never come back. Yeah. And I don't know why. Yeah. No. Well, Bob, it's a good insight. They are uh, trained uh, to bear a testimony and they share it and that is their uh, their sword and they come out and they use that and if they're challenged, they'll fight as long as they can, but if not, they revert back to the testimony and on they go. Uh, thank you for the, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're out of time. I uh, The other callers who are online, please leave a message and we'll try to get back to you. Then I want to finish with a story. Billy Graham told this, and someone named CJ shared this on our website. And it was about a woman who was in a car uh, with a child, a baby, and the car got into, she got into an accident, and the woman broke through the glass uh, to get the car seat out, and the car caught on fire. And I don't know if this is true or not, or just used to, for imagery, but it may be true. Billy Graham told it. The car caught on fire and the woman's dress caught on fire and she reached in and she cut her arms on the glass and she brought the baby out and saved the child's life and the child was unharmed but the mother was badly deformed, lost fingers, burned, scarred hands. And as the mother raised this child, the girl when she got into grade school and began to have cognitive thoughts and observances was ashamed of her mother's arms and hands and uh, thought that they were grotesque and would say to her, put your gloves on or wear a long shirt when my friends come over. She was greatly ashamed of the grotesque image of the arms and hands. It wasn't until later when the girl got a bit older that she finally realized, hey, the world's not just about me. And she asked her mom, how did you get your arms like that? I mean, what happened? Were you born that way? And the mom said no, and she told her the story how she saved her, and the girl said, oh, oh, mother, those are the most beautiful arms in the world. Don't ever cover them up. Um, the same is true of your love for the cross and what it means to you when you recognize that, yes, it was a tool of brutality, but it was the method by which we were saved from sin. God did that for us. And when we realize that he did that for us, it becomes a beautiful thing, not an objectionable thing. Praise God. We'll see you next week. I'm on a ride, going nowhere.
I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake, a storm's arising The dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start to 